Welcome to Horror Dungag, the Lino Messi, a political podcast. That's a bit of a dated reference now, but it is the first recording we've done since the World Cup, so I'm keeping <laughs> that reference. <laughs> Season 4, Episode 10, I am your host, David McClement, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this evening is my eternal comrade, Mulgai's digital Michelangelo, it's Deborah Torrance. And the third member of this evening's Trumvera is the Hollywood OG, the wood-fired heir, the Falkirk's Pizza Hut Prince, Brian Stewart Finley. Hello, hello, hello. Great to be back, Seenies. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? It seems Hi. ages ago, eh? No. Probably because it is. But... <laughs> Trying to remember it. <laughs> well, see, I, I'm, I'm getting Blue Monday the day because it was my birthday at the weekend, so that's kind of like, I always count the festive period, carrying right through to my birthday, so... This is my blue Monday. Oh, hugs. Sending hugs. Just, um, you know, don't be sad. I escaped from Alcatraz on Saturday. Is this an escape right. room? It was. It was. Right. Uh, I, I wasn't actually looking forward to it because uh, I honestly feel like you're walking into a trap. So it's kind of, it seems unnatural. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. And we escaped successfully. Almost, but my pal got bored at the end and he was just pressing buttons. So <laughs> we'd, we'd pretty much completed it and then he just kept pressing buttons. I think like, my pal get bored, he done it then. Oh, oh, God, no. They take it seriously. <laughs> it was, it was good. Uh, it was in the basement of the Merchant Square, which was quite cool in itself. Mm-hmm. Recommend I, it. I quite fancied the escape rooms, but I've never actually been in one yet. I was one a couple of like, years and years ago. I think it was for somebody's Hindu or birthday or something, and we escaped as well. So I was quite impressed with that. I'm really terrible at these types of things, but I was in a team of people that were really good at it. So I just kind of escaped <laughs> with them. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there's a lot of them now. Every time, like, I'm saying, for birthday presents and Christmas presents, and that, I'm signed up to like Groupon and Love and Social and all these things. And you get constantly like, offers for escape rooms now. It must yes. be like really faddy at the moment. So. Yeah. It's because we live in a real life escape room, uh, the UK. How <laughs> do we get out of it? But this is literally that's the biggest challenge because there's so many barriers. <laughs> yeah, at least the escape rooms are designed to escape somehow, mm. whereas uh, the UK seems to be designed to keep all the nations trapped forever in eternity. That's pretty much how it feels. Well, off to a depressing start, as usual. Well done. <laughs> we start off so bright and cheerful, and within literally 90 seconds of recording, uh, um, we're, we're depressed. So, makes for good listening, eh? <laughs> Okay, let's get on, guy. Brian, tell me something uplifting. Um, I'm probably not the best place to speak to about this, but well, what 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 is positive at the moment? Like society-wise, not much. Um, I can't really. Uh, nothing's coming to my head. <laughs> tell me something uplifting. What is uplifting? I'm going on come holiday. Down, come down and existentialist. I'm going. I'm going on holiday in like twenty-five days or something. That's exciting. That is exciting. That's uplifting. You're getting away from this place. <laughs> just, just for, just for, 
for five days, but I am looking forward to those five days. <laughs> and where are you off to? Just go to Spain, off to Torrevieja. To catch some... Well, in fact, we're planning on doing a lot of walking and we're going to head over to Yekla, which is inland, and we're going to walk up a nice mountain. So that will be nice. That is nice. What, you don't hurt your but... ankle again? Yes, don't. <laughs> you've, got, you've got form, Brian, up my ankles uh, on holiday, so... I, this is true, this is true. I, I promise I won't break anything or need any form of surgery by the time I come back. That's that's the plan anyway. Because if you do, you might have to pay for it, but that's that's a subject for later in the podcast. Oh, um, I think what we'll do is we'll start off with the one that um, everybody's been really angry at recently, and that's the UK government overruling Hollywood with a Section 35 order. Mm-hmm. So the government has decided to block a controversial Scottish bill designed to make it easier for people to change their legal gender. UK ministers say the draft law would conflict with equality protections applying across Great Britain. It's the first time a Scottish law has been blocked for affecting UK-wide law. Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon called the move a full frontal attack on the Scottish Parliament and vowed to oppose it. Deborah, do you want to take the lead in this? Well, I don't know if you recently seen uh, Shona Robinson's letter to uh, what's his name? Alistair what's his Jack. name? Alistair Jack McAllister. Aye, that's one. I know we on this podcast I regularly joke like who is it? <laughs> and now he's like infamous for just undermining democracy. Now in the letter she uh, speaks about lots of different things, which is a uh, very pertinent. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can go and see it in the Scottish Government website. It was published today. Um, and she basically asks them, write out, uh, if you really want to work together in partnership of equals, then you should acknowledge that your use of Section 35 in this way is completely incompatible with such a partnership, and you should immediately revoke the order. This, that would enable constructive discussions about the issues you have raised. Because he never once raised any of the issues, which is very typically Tory. Don't engage and then react reactionary. Like the the whole thing, if you break it down, they're, they're, they're challenging this. <laughs> Let me form my words right because I'm going to get angry and I don't mean to. <laughs> Although that's something that everybody should be angry about on a democratic level, but more so, more so that it's on the back of trans rights, because it's obviously that's what their motivation is. It's thinly veiled. It's not even veiled. It's just blatant transphobia. And it's absolutely scunnering that this, this, is the, the policy they decided to challenge on no 16, 17-year-olds voting, no, I don't know, the smoking ban, what else could they challenge it on, the uh, minimum alcohol pricing? Like, when, when you look at all the other things that Scotland does differently in uh, the UK, why this, why this bill? What do you think, Brian? Well, I think it's because, well, I, I absolutely agree that there is a, a smacks of transphobia and, and general queerphobia. I think it actually is, is targeted beyond just the trans community. I think it's a stoke in a culture war against the whole LGBTQ plus A community. Um, 
And basically, I think this is just emblematic of a government that's on its last legs um, and it's trying to play to its to its base. It's trying to 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 try and I don't know, try and make culture themselves war. marketable. Basically, yep. yeah, basically just stuck in a culture war so that it plays to its base and to try and garner any support that it possibly can. And um, we've seen this. I think this is absolutely what you've said, Deborah. Is it's an attack on devolution. It's attack on on LGQ plus A rights. But also, if you look at some of the other. Um, targets uh, that the UK government is, is is going for at the moment. So you've got small boats, which is it's been captioned as small boats. So we've got um, uh, asylum seekers uh, risking their lives to try and get to the UK. We've got uh, striking workers um, is, is another target. And it's just typical Tory uh, targets uh, and it's desperation. And it's actually really poorly constructed because when they're trying to go for 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 like you know strike workers that they're targeting nurses and, and really really people that where the, the the public support is really with them so that's just one major part of this but going back to to Shona Robinson's letter um i think it, it sets out like 16 opportunities where the uk government could have um engaged with with the debate yep. engaged with the process at parliament and it chose not to um even up to a meeting with Kemi Badenoch uh, on the 22nd uh, of December, sorry, there was a, a letter um, with Kemi Badenoch, but there was no, there was no opportunity for, for that to be raised. There was nothing that indicated that this is, you know, what, what the government wanted to do. And uh, it's been going on since the 6th of September 2016. That's where yes. the annex, the chronology of, you know, the the bill and the opportunities of engagement, as you said, attached in the letter. The, the, it is just so very typical of let's let's cause a big ramy it's better than talking about all the failures uh, and and distraction dis- distraction mm-hmm. at government level um from everything that has happened and continues to happen uh, with the uk government and i'm sure we'll talk more about that uh, as the show goes on but ultimately i think that this was just opportunistic and you know, I think what the, the UK government is is betting on that they're going to have widespread public support for blocking this particular type of bill because of all the, you know, the the, the transphobia and the scare stories and, and the misinformation and, you know, painting this, this uh, particular piece of legislation to be about more than what it's actually about. Um, and I think... Um, I hope it doesn't go in their favour. I, re- I really hope that's the case. I, I do believe that the, the Scottish government will fight this as, as far as they possibly can. I'm confident they can win because the actual argument is really tenuous um, and it's it's really desperate. It's poorly pulled together uh, that the UK government has said this is the reason why they're using the um, Section 35, but also as well looking at the alternatives that they could have used, Section 33, which is where it automatically goes for, for judicial review. That's happened for other legislation like the named person uh, bill that was going through things like that and that's you know it could be seen as more in good faith so it's like you know we're concerned about this or we don't believe it's going to you know interact with the UK law or it might infringe in reserved areas so we're going to refer it for a judicial review so we can get a fair outcome section 35 is just a stop as a veto um, and that in itself is it just kind of exposes um, what this is this is what, what it's really all about um, and it's and it's just such a shame that it's trans people that are at the the sharp end of this particular thing but one one thing i will say is that it's for all people who 
identify as queer, anyone who is allies um, of the queer community, anybody out there who who's really enraged about this, is this is the opportunity now to be vocal. This is the opportunity yeah. now to contact your elected representatives at the Scottish Parliament at Westminster because this this is this is targeting a small small minority of people um, and if we just leave it up to that that's that small group of people to, to try and fight this then it's, it's not going to go the way that that it should and i think yeah. that's just a message from me to everybody that this is this is exactly what what you can do personally and we've seen these um uh, you know, protests take place like in Dundee, Edinburgh, Glasgow. If you can attend these types of events, please do it. If you can't share it on social media, raise the voices of trans people because this is the the time that we need to amplify the voices of people that are actually impacted by this particular bill. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt um, that this is in bad faith. It's not because they've got concerns. Um, it's you know twofold. You've got a government in Westminster that is on its in, in, in perpetual crisis through their own incompetence and corruption. Mm-hmm. So stoking a culture war by attacking trans people, you know, gets them support for their extreme right wing supporters. Also picking a fight with the jocks, you know, that gets support mm-hmm. by the kind of English nationalist um types that they they're, they're now they appealing to. Um and if it, because if it wasn't in good faith, Alistair Jack could have taken the invite to come to the Scottish mm-hmm. Parliament and mm-hmm. discussed it with the relevant committee. He ignored that. He, he didn't go. Kemi Badnock, who's the, supposed to be the, you know, the equalities minister that went to uh, the UK government, she's refused to come to the Scottish Parliament and speak to the committee about it. So surely, if they had concerns, they would take an they would they would want an opportunity to come and engage, and explain what their concerns are. Well, concerns are nonsense. You know what they're saying? Oh, well, you couldn't have it that somebody was a different gender in Scotland or in England. Well, if that's an issue, then accepted certificates. Just the way they accept the certificates from the other, what, 13 European countries that have passed similar legislation. So why would they accept Irish gender certificates but they won't accept Scottish ones? Why is that, why, why is that a problem? Because it's within the UK. Because and, it's and if it's just a, convenient, and if it's just yeah. about having, if it's having different rules, well, why is there not a problem with having different drink drive limits on each side of the border? Mm-hmm. You could definitely say, oh, well, you couldn't have somebody mm-hmm. over the limit, exactly. uh, in England, and then, uh, oh, sorry, under the limit in England, over the limit in Scotland. Well, we can because we, we've had it for years now. Um, just the same as a seventeen-year-old can vote in Scotland and then move to England. Can he vote? That's because there's differences. Mm-hmm. We accept that in other realms why is this a step too far it's nonsense and i would be angry whatever the issue is because of the the complete you know colonial nature of you know just dismissing the the, you know years of work the scottish parliament have done on an issue uh, with a stroke of a pen and so it would annoy me if this was about like you know traffic regulations the fact that it's about you know it's 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 something that so many people in the trans community and the parliament rallies have been fighting for this for years. And just over what, a week or so ago, two weeks, they finally thought they had crossed the finishing line. And then what happens, you know, it's yet another barrier has just come out of um, nowhere. And it must be absolutely heartbreaking. Um, yeah. It's know. a convenient dog whistle and Tories love it. They've they mm-hmm. done it with Brexit, with immigration, they do it with 
uh, poor people all the time. It's it's just they're despicable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just kind of going back to what you were saying there, David, like that. Um, when that legislation finally passed after you know th- three really grueling, frustrating days in the Scottish Parliament, and you know I think it was a sigh of relief um, that this had finally passed, and there we go, off a royal assent, we're done. You know, you know there was there was widespread support, you know, over two thirds across every party, a couple of Tories as well. Um, that even uh, voted for the the legislation, and there we go, job done. Everything is as 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 it should be. And then, of course, there's the rumours immediately start after it's been passed. We may block this. We may do this. This is from the UK government. And of course, on the last day that they had um, before they can make that decision, they announced that they're they're going to use the the section thirty five, um, to do so. And I think it's just the cruelest thing that that they could have done and the Tories have a lot of cruel policies and they you know I, I just, the mind boggles where people who support the Conservative Party or in the Conservative Party look at these policies and say that they're not cruel but this one is it's just really really blatant the timing mm-hmm. of it the, the the subject matter the uh, bad faith in, in which it's been done uh, and then the refusal of the Equalities Minister and the, the Secretary of State for Scotland to, to come to the Scottish Parliament and 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 take questions from the committee where this process started. Um I think is 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 just the saddest thing ever. And and of course we can we can then turn to the opposition at Westminster. Um I think this is just as grueling, if not more frustrating uh, than the Tories. I think we can we we there was always a risk that something was was going to be pulled out of the hat. Um, but you just would expect the Labour Party to at least, if they don't fully agree with with the GRR reforms, which you know apparently you can't be sixteen and decide what gender you want to be, um, but even on the principles of devolution, they are apparently the the defenders of devolution, and they can't mm. even turn out to to vote for some of the the most marginalised people in the UK, and I think that was the most the most disappointing and disheartening thing uh, of this whole charade. Um, but fortunately, we had some some good uh, Labour representation in, in Holyrood, Monica Lennon calling out her party leader um, and, 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 and basically saying exactly how it was. So, you know, that's really, really appreciated. Um, I'm sure trans people and, and the wider queer community can, can, is grateful for that. But Labour, for goodness sake, do not try and both sides this because it's not it's not yeah. the Scottish government it's not the Scottish Parliament that's that's caused this you you mostly most of the MSPs, MSPs supporting this bill now keep supporting it now that it's been passed and it's now under a Section Thirty Five order from the UK government please yeah I mean, never this, forget oh, sorry I was just going to say this this was the opportunity for Labour Labour mm-hmm. trying to weave this sort of middle ground very yes. unsuccessfully for a number of years. They say the Tories, they uh, they want to destroy uh, devolution in the Scottish Parliament. The SNP on the interest in it because they want full independence. We are the only ones that is the defender of devolution. So where were the defenders of devolution this week? Nowhere, except for one or two honourable exceptions, um, both in Holyrood and Westminster. You know, there was a small handful of uh, Labour MPs and MSPs stood up. But the vast majority in the leadership 
of both party, uh, parts of the Labour Party have been absolutely nowhere again. Shaming mm. them. Absolute shaming them. Anis Sarwar was media... Didn't he tweet about this for days? No. Because he was probably on the phone, you know, begging Keir Starmer to, to throw him a bone, basically. And he get nothing. He get nothing. Starmer's getting wheeled out and just trying to, like, be slightly less horrific than the Tories and yet another issue. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's no good enough. Yeah. Anna Sarwar was on the, the Sunday show on BBC this week and it was just uh, grueling, just really... Just frustrating, and it's almost like you know, harking back to well, we had concerns about the sixteen-year-old, you know, time when we tried to put these protections in, and we understand there's concerns about single-sex spaces. And if we, and one thing we need to be really, really careful here, because if we start opening the door about you know these concerns about single-sex spaces in the context of the GRR bill, what they're actually saying is revisiting the Equalities Act. And that's yeah. the scary thing, because the Equalities Act took, was years and years in the making, and it's really robust and quite strong legislation. Um, and if we are, if, if certain individuals, um, those who are uh, don't want to see trans equality, those who are hostile towards LGBTQ plus a people, um, th- basically what they're talking about is is revisiting the Equalities Act. And if that's what they want to do, then say it. Because this bill does is not in conflation with the the Equalities Act, in my understanding. Obviously, the the, the final opinion of that will will rest on the courts. Um, but if you want to try and exclude people from certain spaces, that you know that that subsection already exists, um, which you know in itself is should be really be focusing on excluding people where people need mm-hmm. help and support you know and and the convenience of, of all these debates and we don't want to fall down this rabbit hole because we've had we've had these discussions over and over and over again consultation consultation debates debates we've had all these debates but you know if we if if you want to if you seriously have got these serious concerns about single sex spaces uh, single sex services whatever it is the, the the main concern here the only way to address that is to reopen the equalities act 2010 um and that scares me because that's what the a lot of this um, anti trans this mm-hmm. transphobic campaign has been about yes uh, and and in the beginning they always want to go after the equalities act so yep. that we could Start discriminating against uh, discriminating against people again. I, I worry about the court case because I feel as if it might just go exactly the same as the way the indirect two court case went. That you know the morality or the legitimacy of the case will come down to well, in Scotland that's quite clear. Westminster being supreme, anything that Holyrood does is only at the um, the gracious permission of the Westminster Parliament. But does that not just confirm the necessity for independence and further our case in the end? I mean, I still haven't figured out the, how we get out the escape room that we're in, but I'm sure that if we just keep trying. Yeah, this is the, I think the main difference with this court case is that there is actually a bill that's been passed. So there is legislation, there has been amendments made, there is consent from the Scottish Parliament, all these different bits of detail that we didn't have when the Indirect 2 case went to uh, the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, and 
I do believe, you know, I'm I'm no expert and I'm not going to try and pretend that, you know, I'm I'm an expert or or know a lot about how this court case will play out. But just looking at where the, the legislation is, the consent that it's had from Parliament and the sort of thin argument that's been pulled together by the UK government in a desperate act to create a political stooshy, then actually I think that I, I'm confident, and I really, really hope so, and I don't know if this is just me just being optimistic and, and hopeful, that that whatever court it, it gets settled in, that it will fall in the support of the Scottish government, and I really, really hope that's the case. Deborah, you get anything you want to add before we finish up? No, just solidarity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Trans-siblings and everybody hates the Tories. <laughs> Move on to our next topic then. Um, the Conservative Party chair, Nadim Zahawi, agreed to pay a penalty to HMRC as part of a seven-figure settlement over his tax affairs. The former Chancellor, who still attends Cabinet, has been subject to extensive questions in Parliament and the media. After it emerged, he agreed to pay millions to HMRC in December after a settlement with the tax agency. Last summer, news reports emerged about Zahawi's financial affairs, including an HMRC with its taxes. At the time, he described such reports as smears and threatened journalists with legal action. Where do we begin with this one? Um, this is a doozy. I mean, this is a, a story that what, started in July, I think. I think this is the first time that it came out. Um, Dan Needle was somebody who researched it a lot and, and broke the story um, and was threatened yeah, with, uh, with legal from lawyers to to withdraw the story to apologize for it, all these different things and and the scary thing about it is and, and from what i can gather it's confirmed that he was the chancellor when this penalty was paid that's my understanding yeah i think that was confirmed today because the day just was, today they didn't want it there was a lot of yeah um, ambiguity over that yes so he was the chancellor of the exchequer who is responsible for hmrc the chancellor of the exchequer then had to, I'm assuming, agree to a penalty. Um, because you know, because when you've got so much money, you can agree to these things, you can negotiate these things. You know, if you, you if you're a, an employee, you just pay pay tax and you have no say over it and it's collected. Um I think that the main thing for this one is that Zahawi was, you know, he set up YouGov, the Poland company, um, and and then you know you know, because he's he's just such a, a great person, and um, gave those the shares to his dad, <laughs> conveniently, uh, and, and this is a quote in exchange for some capital and his invaluable guidance. That's how he gave him all these shares in this company, which I'm assuming was probably quite a lot of money. And then, of course, that was then moved to a company that was in Gibraltar, and you know the usual thing that happens. It's so difficult to to try and keep a track of where this money goes and, and whatnot. And in those interviews in uh, July last year on Sky News, um, he was basically saying that he didn't benefit from them, um, that he, you know, everything's above board, all is hunky-dory. So, of course, he is then ends up as Chancellor. And when he's been interviewed about this, he was wanting to be Prime Minister, by the way. This is when these interviews were taken. This is when he had thrown his hat in the ring to, to be the next Prime Minister. I can't remember if it was before or after Liz Truss. It's just, you know, it's so difficult to, to, to follow these things. But um, he, yeah, he wanted to be Prime Minister. And 
Yeah, so then it comes out today that he is the Chancellor. He's then had to pay this this penalty. It's not a fine. Apparently, penalties and fines are different. And just to be just to be clear, and he apparently was careless. And um, but this is a specific word that HMRC uses, where it sort of indicates that perhaps it wasn't intentional, but we don't know. It's not careless, as in I carelessly done something that I didn't think was an issue. You know, all these different things. But one of the main things that I was really struck by today. Um, and just to imagine this context in any other job, right? So you are responsible. So you are responsible for the nation's finances, right? Money, treasury, everything, right? And you are, you know, negotiating with your own department to pay a penalty for your own tax arrangements. And then you don't tell your boss, and your boss stands up. In this case, at Prime Minister's questions, say there's no question to be answered. And then, of course, it comes out that Rishi Sunak didn't know that about the penalty. And then he still continues to be chairman of the party. But more importantly, a cabinet secretary without portfolio. So he, why is it? I, I, do you know what I mean? Like You would just think in this context, you would think, OK, maybe just let him go from cabinet from now just to try and take the heat off. And then, you know, perhaps he should step aside as the chairman while this investigation happens. But Rishi Sunak, who is, you know, saying, I want to have a government that's, you know, professional and transparent and, you know, all this this jazzy thing that, you know, everything that Boris Johnson wasn't, is defending this guy. So what, where, does he know where the bodies are? I don't know. Like, <laughs> is it, it just makes you think, doesn't it? But this this story is just it's like layers upon layers upon layers of of problems and it's not the only big drama this week you know Boris Johnson the 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 BBC chair you know being a guarantor for a, you know loans up to 800,000 pounds and then the BBC has his sister on to to discuss the matter on their their flagship program what the fuck like I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Brian, without realising. Right. The answer why uh, he's still employed is because to the Rishi Sunak, it's no big deal. Plus, he's just got some tax problems. It's only a few million. It's fine. <laughs> this comes across as like so weak and lacking authority. Not just in this, like, but even going back when it's clearly as part of a deal with some of the, the right wing in his back benches. When he welcomed Wella uh, Braverman back six days after she resigned uh, over a like national security issue, you know, and she walks back into the job, you know, you've got the party chair lying to him and making him lie to Parliament by it uh, as a consequence, and there's there's not even a hint of him getting sacked, you know. You know, it must be one of the weakest prime ministers we've had, you know, even. And I mean, what is that saying this year? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, Do you not think he's the weakest prime? I don't know. It's like, it's, it's hard to say really, isn't it? I mean, was Liz Truss weaker because she lasted 45 days? I don't know. I mean, what's the bar? It's hard, <laughs> you it's know? hard, to, it's hard to really gauge how strong a weak energy is in that, in that short uh, premiership. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, she put on. She put her um her ideological ally and the chancellor job and then they push through some their crazy ideas. So, you know, it's a kind of strength, I suppose, that you would say she she had her own <laughs> idea how she wanted to do things and she tried to do it. Even though in that short time she almost absolutely annihilated the economy. You know, nobody's <laughs> saying she was 
smart or knew what she was doing. But, you know, there was some kind of principle or force a character there to try and do it anyway. But um, <laughs> Son- Sunak just seems like a front man, like a, just a complete salesman. Like, just... Uh- that's put out front just to... his head boy he's just like a ah. head boy in a public school that's yes. all the vibes I get and he's and... just agreeing with the bullies he's like oh there is only first years they're battering like that like honestly that's how I feel I feel yeah. like he's just he's siding up with the biggest bullies yeah and this is this just exposes this you know whether you want to call it unconscious bias or just privilege is the fact that for Rishi Sunak, the fact that somebody has to do all these different types of tax, you know, processes and payments and, you know, risk of penalties and all these different things just shows you that's his reality for somebody to go through all these different processes. I mean, you know, we we can point to to his wife, you know, going through the whole non-dom status process to, you know, to bring that around and all these different things. And you just think this is not the real world. Like there's so many people that would just be completely alien to, to, you know, who those people who are employed and just pay PE tax would, would have no real interaction with HMRC unless it's to check their tax code. People who um, own small businesses or, or operate sole traders and things like that will have much more insight into it to, to, to doing the process, but they're not in a position to negotiate how much they should be paying for X, Y, and Z, you know, the, the way that multi-millionaires, billionaires, and, and, and multinational business owners are. So this just shows you that that's just normality for, for people like Rishi Sunak to be like, oh, you know, he he, he had to pay a penalty because he got it wrong. Whoops. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you know, that's where we're at. But it just completely, that attitude completely takes away the context of the fact that this um, uh, Zahawi was responsible for HMRC at the time when this payment was made. And I, I just don't see in any other context or any other job that this this type of of clear, um, you know, would, would ever, you wouldn't be allowed to, to stay in your job or you would certainly be suspended or you certainly would be removed from certain responsibilities until an investigation was done, whether that be independent by the party, by the parliament, by, what you know, there's so many different investigations and things that, you know, that people can do. And ultimately what they're doing is they're just delaying it like they did with, with Boris Johnson. Um, but I don't know how this is going to play out with the public because the support's already so low for the Tories. I mean, it's like, you know, hovers around 24, 25%. Could they lose any more support? I, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. I know that well, Liz Truss it was down in, in the team, so I'm, I'm sure they could. But it'll be interesting to see because I think a lot of people are sick to the back teeth of, of a lot of the stuff. And it's almost hard to keep up with how many scandals and fraud allegations and, you know, sleaze and all these different things that is actually Corruption. Corruption, all these different things. It's so difficult to keep up with who's accused of what and, I, and the other day I was thinking oh but Dominic Rabin I was like oh no he's accused of bullying not you know it's, it's, it's literally this is where we're at and it's that's really problematic you know I mean we're supposed to be in a country that's like ruled by law and law is supposed to be consistent but what we really have is this kind of corrupt oligarchy where law is absolute unless you're rich enough and powerful enough to challenge it you know, and even if something basic is paying tax, you know, if you're rich enough, suddenly it becomes, there's a bit of wiggle room there. You might not be able to dodge it completely, but, you know, they'll need to talk to you. They can't just dictate, you know, if you're rich, the, even the tax man, uh, can he just tell you what to do? 
and it stinks. And it's yet another sign that a country's failing. You know, the UK is heading way towards failed state, the status of a failed state. You know, when the rich and powerful are not governed by law, you know, it's not you're not a proper country anymore. Mm-hmm. I would say. I would say Banana Republic, but well, it's not even good enough to be a republic. No. And you've got to also consider the total inequality where people on universal credit will get, you know, money taken after benefits for en- earning a few pounds more than mm-hmm. they're meant to a week or working an extra hour shift or something. And if they don't report it, then they'll get into trouble. So... We've, you you've, you both just said everything I was going to say anyway. That it's just it's another they live in a different planet. Like it's as it's it's truly another reality uh, where these people who are in charge of making all the rules have millions and millions of pounds and can carelessly forget about where they've put it. Oh, is it in the? Is it in Panama? Not the Seychelles. No, Isle of Man. Where, where was it? Gibraltar. Like what? I'd just like to go a wee holiday to these places. That'd be nice. We we package holiday. You I mean, see any cheap? There, there is so many parallels between you know benefit fraud and tax dodging. It's fundamentally the same thing, and it's not just that you know you know somebody's claiming benefits and then maybe the partner moves in and they don't tell them. They they, they don't notify the authorities about it. Um, it's not just fine. You'll be jailed. You know, for fraud, whereas literally these people can hide and squirrel away millions and millions of pounds, and he just gets to shrug and go, "Oh, I was awfully careless there." Mm-hmm. Try, try saying that uh, uh, to the when you've been accused of benefit for fraud. Sorry, Your Honour, I guess I was a wee bit careless. Mm-hmm. Oh, fair enough. When you go, you'll you'll get banged up. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And it's, and again, it's not just the real consequences; it's the cultural. Um, Discourse around it. It's it's like if you're like rich people sit about talking about where they've put their their money and invested in that and that offsets tax and it's all about oh god you're so clever managing to do that like you you know can you imagine people sitting around a, a table saying oh I'm very clever I'm actually I'm actually working on the side while claiming the brew oh you're so clever well done mm-hmm. you know like these people are like the um the, uh, that they, they people are portrayed as scum in the air, for and, and what what damage are they really doing in the grand scheme of, scheme of things? You know, like it's a drop in the ocean seems too much to even call it that when you're yeah. talking about like fifty quid a month or something and a government budget in the trillions. But literally, this guy's got three million pounds that he had to pay back that he tried to steal for the taxpayer. Yeah. Just to put that in context, is actually the estimated reported amount in total, including the thirty percent penalty, is four point eight million pounds. Oh my god! Oops. So, like, that's just more money than than I can comprehend. You know that most of us can comprehend, or you know, or whatever. But this is literally just one transaction. Yeah, and that's the tax on it. So the actual yeah. transaction yeah. was something like thirty million that he tried to claim he forgot about. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing and stifling my laughter because I'm under review by the DWP the new mm-hmm. uh, because they said I'm earning six pound too much a week. Uh, so I'm no, by the way, <laughs> they just kind of do my 
But uh, aye, there you go. I'm waiting and hearing back for them. And this is the thing, that's not even one hour's <laughs> rage in the minimum wage. And I only you know. work nine and a half hours a week. I don't, mm-hmm. it's just, this is how ridiculous it is. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm sorry if I interrupted you no. there with my big guffaw. Well, <laughs> you should have been clever enough to get them to pay it into your offshore account in Panama. I know, ridiculous. You get on the phone to my Swiss accountant. <laughs> and you just keep thinking, like, if you, you take your example, right, it's like how much, like, resources and people and time goes into monitoring individuals who might be making £6 too much and then going through the process of contacting them, engaging with them, and, and, and then settling that dispute, if you want to call it. Yet we've got, you know, organisations and, and businesses and international businesses who just shift money around and we're talking millions, possibly billions, that that the, the people who use public services could be benefiting from, particularly in the context of really challenging decisions that need to be made. Um, and then actually, it's just it's not really uh, it's not really that challenging, really, if you just tax the people that are that are uh, taking the wealth that uh, the working class is creating for them. I'm too angry now, Kenny. I think um, <laughs> honestly, the guy should be in jail. The guy should be in jail. It's ridiculous. And he and he gets to sit in cabinet. He's not even have to hit to resign. You know, it's and it's crazy. It it shows how much you know politics has shifted over the last I don't know how many years. You know, like um, we might have had similar arguments about David Laws. You know, ten years ago when he was claiming expenses that he should be because he didn't declare that his partner was living with him. At least he had to resign, you know, only for six months and they brought him back in. You know, at least going back a bit before, Peter Mandelson had to resign when he was caught with uh, financial irregularities. The days are gone. Even the fig leaf of um, punishment for these people is, is out the window. They do what they like and we just have to shut up and take it. Well, uh, the Prime Minister has a criminal record for the breaking, or well, he got a fine, didn't he? For breaking the... Fixed penalty notice. Fixed penalty notice. A word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures, from snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles. Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one and group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote, Holyrood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Okay, our third topic this evening. Patients should be charged for GP appointments and A&E visits. Uh, according to former Health Secretary Sajid Javid. 
He said that uh, he called the present model of the NHS unsustainable. In an opinion piece for the Times, he called for a grown-up, hard-headed conversation about revamping the health service, noting that too often the appreciation for the NHS has become a religious fervor and a barrier to reform. He went on to say that the only rationing mechanism in the NHS, which was to make people wait, should be replaced by a means-tested fee while protecting those in low income. He pointed to Ireland's nominal €75 euro fee for attending an injury unit and a 20, uh, €20 euro fee charged for GP appointments in Norway and Sweden as possible models. Brian, look forward to paying for the NHS? No, I'm not. And I don't think um, we should even be entering into this so-called grown-up debate because this is what we always get is this n nonsense that the NHS is somehow, uh, you know, it's always said, oh, it's the sacred cow. We can't even talk about reform. Healthcare literally reforms constantly, like the technology that's used, processes that's used, how staff operate, all these different things, right? So it's the same as when you talk about the, the railways, right? It's almost like you seem to think that nothing develops, nothing changes. It changes, you know, it constantly develops and changes. So that's just, let's just part that because that's just ridiculous. It's just to try and, you know, inflate an argument that, that uh, Sajid Javid wants to have. Particularly terrifying that uh, Sajid Javid was a health secretary <laughs> um, at one point. Um, I, I don't know what, I think it was under Boris Johnson, I think. Um, possibly Theresa May, I don't know. Um, so he was health secretary and also chancellor and also many other things. But anyway, um, he is basically saying, you know, oh, you know, it's completely unsustainable and the NHS cannot function uh, under its current model. That's absolute nonsense. Um, what the NHS can continue to do is to continue to be stripped of its assets, um, you know, offering private um, companies to offer uh, essential services. Um, and basically what it can't can continue doing is, is being treated the way it's been treated by this Conservative government. The reason we're in this situation is because of austerity. Started in 2010 and, you know, it's been such a, a long process to get to the, the, waiting, uh, the, the waiting lists that, that is currently in the NHS in England. Um, Jeremy Hunt himself was interviewed when he was a backbencher, conveniently, after he was health secretary for, you know, six years or whatever, one of the longest serving health secretaries. And basically he admitted that one of the worst things that, that he'd done or, or whilst, um, whilst he was in cabinet or what the, the Conservatives have done, the most silent um, danger was the cuts to social care. And what we're now seeing is that, you know, um, that, that people cannot be... Uh, you know, they can't be discharged from hospital because they've, they've no social care provisions in place. It's not safe to do so. So therefore, that's causing problems at that end. But then, of course, we know there's problems at the opposite end where people are trying to get into uh, into hospital. Um, and then basically the NHS is stuck between these two major, major problems. And obviously, we've got the issue with um, healthcare workers. So nurses are on strike uh, in England and Wales, um, ambulance workers. And we're probably going to see strikes in Scotland at some point as well because of the pay deal being rejected by, by two trade unions. So what we're, we're kind of seeing at the moment is a complete breakdown of the healthcare system, which has been about, you know, 
10 to 13 years in the making. And there's a great video on the TUC, which has got a, a sort of timer that goes, you know, a counter that goes up with what the waiting lists are and all the significant policy areas that the Conservative government put in during that time. And, and it's OK, we know that there's been issues with COVID. We know that there's, you know, various other issues such as inflation will have an impact on the budgets that the NHS has got. All these issues we know, but the governments are there to fix it. So they need to fix it. And no, we should not be charging people to access healthcare because, you know, the, the, the right always loves to talk about, oh, the dangerous slippery slope. Um, that is not even a slippery slope. That's literally being pushed down the stairs. So let's just not, let's not worry about that. Let's not even even entertain that argument and push back against it whenever it's suggested. Yeah, it, it's a terrible idea. Don't charge people for healthcare. And uh, I was reading an interesting analysis uh, from England and Wales NHS that uh, poorest get the worst quality of NHS care in England. Uh, that was a study by a new quality watch and and Nuffield Health. And it was just laying it out from 2014, 15. There was no difference in the proportion of people missing the four hour A E targets in the most deprived area. Uh, and then uh, in 2017, 18, the, a gap emerged where 14.3%, and it, you can see it go all the way up. 2022 where it's just a huge disparity and the richest areas seem to have better services and I'm wondering if that's because there's already began a slippery slope where in some areas in England you get charged £20 go see your GP if it's not necessary or for them to do simple things like write you a signal those I'm not entirely sure if they're confirmed or if they're just social media posts by the way if anybody wants to check up on that but I'm worried about how much Brexit affected the NHS with staffing levels and just the sort of things you were talking about about inflation and rising costs just generally from hospitals a lot of hospitals need to have their temperatures high because they've got a lot of old People who are sick or they've got wee babies that, you know, need constant uh, machinery. Like energy consumption is through the roof. And I know in some places they're still, like, they're not very environmentally friendly in many instances is what I'm trying to get at. So you can't really curb those costs unless you attack, as you said, the other policy aspects. Um, I think that nurses, doctors, healthcare professionals have every right to go on strike as do every other worker because the richest in society have continued to get richer, the poorest have got poorer, and those in the middle, they like to call them the, the squeezed middle, but I don't even think there is a middle anymore. I think it's just us and really, really rich people. <laughs> and I think the NHS, I don't necessarily think it's a sacred cow I think you're you're right it has evolved and it should continue to evolve but should always be patient like care that's the priority and however much that costs we've got a, an aging population there's 
as it, as people as the aging population grows, people with disabilities are going to grow. So we're going to need more social care. We're going to need more uh, different specialist. I don't know what you call it. Infrastructure is that would that would you call it health and inf health infrastructure? <laughs> Come in, Brian. What is it called? Is that a thing? Health infrastructure, I like as you're to go good. from like sounds good to me like personal care plans and all these things that if you're in hospital you come out of hospital you go to, you know it, all these things have to join up in a more holistic uh, yeah. way and charging people for no being referred to go to any mm, how's that going a nominal fee how's like how's that actually really going to stop it's just going to cause more people in no seek help when they need it it's it's stupid and it's just such a Tory ideology. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, I mean, fucked up their way. <laughs> Health um, interest. I mean, this has been a plan decades to make for the, the right. Uh, you know, there is a sort of religious fervor in defence of the NHS because generally, you know, people know how lucky they are to have it. In the age of social media, when people are learning so much more about healthcare in other countries, and particularly the United States, you know, it, I think they appreciate it more than ever. So they're following that great playbook of if we want to privatise this, we need to first undermine it and destroy it and make people sick of it and angry with it. So that when we come around and promise them, promise them that everything will be wonderful after they uh, privatise it, that people in a situation where they think, well, it's crappy anyway, why not get a try then? You know, they did it with the railways, you know, going back way back to the 70s and things like that. And uh, they did it with bus services. You know, they undermined and made bus services and train services that bad that when they privatised it, people didn't really care. And they were promised that it would suddenly be this amazing uh, service, which never ever inspired. And because people are so fond of NHS, they've had to be really clever about how they've attacked it. You know, going back to the kind of coalition governments, they were always like, you know, austerity, but we're protecting the NHS, or we're ring fencing the NHS, we're not making cuts there. So they attacked social care, like you mentioned, Brian, which was a great way of undermining the NHS, because what the NHS had to do was start spending resources to fill the gaps that social care used to um, do. So they were able to indirectly attack the funding for the NHS that way. Um, you know, the NHS has been hit with COVID, they've been hit with Brexit, where they've lost so much staff. You know, the fact that it's still standing is, you know, testament to it uh, as an institution. But it's really, it's really struggling now. You know, we can all see it. You know, people think twice about going to A&E because, you know, they worry about, oh God, how, how many hours am I going to be there? You know, you know there's so many people treatment, maybe I'm not that bad. So there's a lot of kind of self-selecting there now, I think, than there used to be, whereas, you know, every doctor you ever speak to always says, if you're worried about something, come and see us. We'll tell you if it's something to worry about. Well, how, how much are people going to worry about the chest pain they've been having if they're going to weigh up whether they can afford a 75 euro fee? Um, as it stands, the last week, in, uh, last week in January, um, something like been paid since Christmas. That's more than I've got sitting in my bank account at the moment, and I'm better off than most. 
Um, there'll, there'll be loads of people this idea of, you know, £66 in A&E. They literally just will not be able to afford it. So then you're talking about what people are going to have to take payday loans out because, because, of, because they need to get chest pains checked. You know, it's an absolute nonsense. It's ridiculous. And it's what they've been planning this whole time. You know, and, and you were right, Brian, all these mealy-mouthed phrases about hard-headed conversations. Just be honest. What you really mean is, let's privatise it so me and my pals can make an absolute fortune of it. And okay, people will die because people will not get the treatment they need. Uh, but, you know, that's the price they're willing for us to pay. Deborah? Just yes, Queen, in you. All right, like Brian. No, Brian got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and and basically the moral of the story is that we, we shouldn't put barriers in front of people to access uh, healthcare. And there already is quite a lot of barriers because people, when you, you talk about contested time, that people just don't have the time to seek healthcare. Um, there's inflexibility mm-hmm. with things like GP appointments, then they've yep. got to consider childcare, then they've got to consider all these different things. So there already is barriers which we should be working towards to reduce. Um, the location of GPs as well, massive centralisation. I'm now, I mean, I don't have a car at the moment, so for me to get to my GPs, uh, it's a 35 minute walk. There's no direct buses to get there. You know, all these different, and generally when you go to a GP, you're unwell. So walking mm-hmm. 35 minutes is not is not the best. So there's all these barriers that we should be trying to break down. The last thing we should be doing is saying, and you need to bring 20 quid with you. And if you mm-hmm. need to get, you know, get into a it's, you know, 60, 70 quid or, or whatever it is. That's not a nominal fee. That's not a nominal fee. Mm-hmm. And this, again, just leans into the, the sort of reality that these these um uh, Tory politicians live in where they think that something of 60, 70 quid is a nominal fee where you need to get life-saving um healthcare. Mm-hmm. And and like you're saying, if you need to consider payday loans or or borrowing money off people when you're actually worried about your health, it's just uh, 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 that you know it's just ludicrous to me. And exactly what you're saying, let's know piss about here if you if you want to to move to some sort of insurance system and then they sort of can i like um say oh but we're not talking about america well well good but um you know still there's issues to do with a blended system and all these different things let's just see social care and healthcare is a huge opportunity to create mass employment and good quality unionised yep. jobs. And it's also part of, of something that links in with the Green New Deal as well, where people are, you know, because we want to shift towards, you know, a four day working week. Can you imagine that if social care was and, and healthcare was something that people could go into from school as a vocation, they would be trained, they would get, you know, all these different qualifications, secure unionised jobs, collective bargaining, all these different things, and also having the benefit of actually caring for people and interacting mm-hmm. with them making a difference for for vulnerable people for older adults for for um people with disabilities all these different things and you know as you're saying we've got an aging population and if we don't fix this problem now see within you know 10 20 30 years we're going to end up with another crisis uh, in our hands and you know scotland okay the idea has been floated about a national care service i've not heard much about it for quite some time and i've got some real concerns about where this discussion seems to be headed but this is a huge huge opportunity yeah. to create good quality jobs for people and and actually mm-hmm. care for the most vulnerable in society and it all comes from funding it well at government which will then be paid back because there'll be more people working and therefore they'll be able to collect more and income tax. Um, as you know, I have a club card for any. So the last time I was in an ambulance and we were waiting outside, 
asked the ambulance driver, what do you think would make this better? Um, and I mean, I was on the gas and air, but uh, I do remember they said that an like additional emergency medical centres that had specialist mental health departments, specialist like minor acts, like min- where, where if people came in with like, you know, an infected scale, if they don't have to go through triage and all that, they can just go to a, a local medical centre. But as you say, Brian, these facilities have been massively underfunded. Many communities have lost them. You're having to walk 35 minutes uh, to your uh, GP appointment. It's it's not right, and the, I agree. We have some concerns about the conversation about the national care service, so I'm not going to say much more about that. It's just yeah, and you know the irony about this 35 minute walk to my GP surgery. There was a GP surgery where I live, literally the end of my road, and when I bought like when I moved down here, and uh, and I was like, oh, I'm moving to this area, and there's a, a doctor's surgery there and stuff like that, and then I realised that it had been shut down. So now I'm somewhere which is complete opposite direction from where I normally would be going, you know, into the town and things like that. And that's the one I've been allocated and that's what I have to do. So I just, you know, fear for people that live in the area for me who are less mobile, who don't have access to cars, don't have access to, you know, can't afford uh, access to taxis and things like that, or might not have anybody that can give them a, give them a hand. So, you know, all these different barriers, we, they should be getting addressed by the Scottish government and right across the UK too. I'll just talk about health care, it makes me, reminds me that I need to go and register with a new dentist. Good luck like that, with that. Yeah. Well, I was trying to get ready. When I moved from Bl- uh, to Blantyre, I stayed with my old dentist because it had been around years and he was really, really cheap. Like £6 for a filling. And uh, I went to get my first appointment after lockdown and he's gone. It was all... But was he filling it with cement? I don't care for £6, I was making him. But uh, I did a kind of wee rundown, sort of Victorian looking surgery. And then I turned up after lockdown and it was like all brightly painted with all new fancy pictures and fittings with uh, a much more suave looking dentist that came out. And I thought, nah, not interested because for the first time it was like, oh, you need like four fillings. And I'm thinking, that's more fillings than I've ever had in my life put together. So I was a bit suspicious. So I'm looking for a new dentist. I kind of took us down a blind alleyway there. <laughs> Let's move on to our final um, topic this evening. Rishi Sunak has been given a fixed penalty notice after being caught not wearing a seatbelt. Lancashire Police issued the uh, sorry Lancashire Police issued the notice after the Prime Minister appeared without a belt in a clip on Instagram as he promoted his levelling up funding in Lancashire. This comes amid accusations that the funding allocations were motivated by an attempt to shore up support in Tory seats after many deprived areas missed out on the funding, while his own Richmond constituency in North Yorkshire was awarded £19 million. Um, I'd just like to think, uh, he said that uh, he took it off to film the video, but I like to think of him having it on and then saying, should I take this off because it's creasing my shirt? And they're saying, no, keep it on. No, better take it off. Does it look like, I like to imagine that wee scenario in the back of that motor. But, Come on. You they could literally fling dugs in a sack into a canal and I wouldn't be surprised. Like they're just there's <laughs> the guys no wearing a seatbelt. I think it's 
very typical of entitlement that he doesn't need to follow the rules of everybody else. I mean, also, the first thing you do when you get in a motor, and my opinion, is you put a seatbelt on because you've been nagged by the people that you get in motors with your whole life when I was away. And, get your seatbelt on! <laughs> it's just a second, it's like a instinct. So I do believe that maybe he had it on and took it off, so I like to imagine that wee thing in the background, but just a jerk, isn't he? <laughs> I, 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 like to, I like to imagine him pute, um, trying to blame it in his valet because he doesn't usually fasten his own seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, this, <clears throat> there's a story unfolded. I think it was the funniest thing I've ever seen since, you know, since the video was uploaded and then people started sharing it, being like, oh my goodness, he's not wearing a seatbelt. I was just like, here we go. <laughs> Going back to a fixed penalty notice um, <laughs> territory here. And of course, it took a bit, I think it was like two or three days or something like that. And then, of course, I was like, you know, and then loads of people go mental about it. And then, you know, this becomes the topic of discussion, which is frustrating because there's so much more important things we should be talking yes. about. But of course, this should obviously be investigated by the police, as it would be for anybody. Um, you know, um, and then, of course, when that breaking news thing came through, <laughs> got the push notification to say they'd be given a fixed penalty notice. I just thought it was hilarious because I was like, this guy has like based his entire like prime ministership on having like a, a, a well turned out government that, you know, is transparent and it can be trusted and all this different thing. The yeah. guy has managed to get a fixed penalty notice while the Chancellor of the Exchequer and while he's prime minister in, in the space of. <laughs> Well, within 12 months, and that yeah. you know, could you, it's just bizarre again. It's like, is we're, we're just in, in, in sort of bizarre territory again that we're actually discussing this, and it's amazing. Everyone's like, Oh my goodness, he's the second prime minister to be you know, being given a fixed penalty notice well in office within 12 months, and you're just like, What's going on? It's just, I but my biggest worry was that. You know, we're going to end up going down this rabbit hole where, you know, all the politics programs will be talking about this fixed penalty notice and blah, blah, blah. Yes, it's important that everyone wears a seatbelt. Yes, he deserves to have a fixed penalty notice. But, you know, let's make sure that, okay, this has been, there's political pressure being applied here. However, there's, you know, like we've discussed, there's so many other really important issues that need the focus. But this is just funny because it undermines his view that he's got this perfect government that he's yeah. going to hold accountable and he himself has two fixed filling notices. Well, Was it not they kept saying we're the government of grown-ups? That's the one bringing the, these grown-up discussions yeah. grown-up, grown-ups <laughs> in the room grown-up, do you know what, never trust a grown-up or anyone that calls themselves a grown-up I think exactly. that's the moral of the story I was disappointed in the TikTok generation, though. Nobody had spliced in like a crash test dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for one of them. Um, I like to point out as well, because in the surface, you might think this kind of undermined my point earlier, where I was talking about how the rules don't apply to uh, people equally. He didn't get fined. He's nowhere in the seatbelt. He got fined because... He recorded himself and put it online and everybody saw it. Because it's not as if he got away with it and the police didn't see. He has a police escort. So the, the policeman driving his motorbike outside his window never noticed. And there is no chance in this earth that um, 
if he didn't didn't film that, he would have got that penalty. Not that's mm. all it was. It was just to try and head off the the public outrage at it. Um, you know, because he should have got a fixed penalty notice, and it shouldn't have taken something as egregious as filming it and sticking it on Instagram. What like filming your guilt and putting it on Instagram to put it to harm? But they've been more. I'd have been more impressed if there was an excuse given, like, oh, the Prime Minister doesn't wear a seatbelt when he's in his vehicle in case the security guards have to drag him out and in a mer- Like, that that would have been better. He should have defended it. It's like, oh, I can't wear a seatbelt because I've got this massive chip in my shoulder and it's <laughs> really difficult to, to get. I mean, honestly, I, I would have been, I would have rather he fought it than just was like, oh, just give me a fixed penalty notice, get this it, out of the way. It could, it could be like a taxi driver. Uh, I can't wear it because Boris Johnson might sneak up and use it to strangle me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a safety thing. For his own benefit. Justice for Rishi. Yeah, but do you know what? I've just, it's just came to me who Rishi Sunak reminds me of and it's Will from the Inbetweeners. Oh yeah, yeah. People were saying oh that it's his voice. Yeah. yeah. Close your and- eyes and listen to his voice. Yeah, they're indistinguishable. Yeah, and it's like wow. when he's doing, and it's just funny because it's like that sort of like I'm going to be really cool and I'm going to record myself like I'm here doing this with a living up thing, which obviously we'll talk about in a few minute. And he's like, hey, 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 look how great I am, da 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 da. Upload it on his own social media, and then, <laughs> and then ends up like getting a fixed penalty noise. So it's like, yeah, it's just well from the inbetweeners. I think is is the um. Yeah, it, it's sort of vibe in it. It's like, it's like when Will tried to use the head teacher's first name. <laughs> yes. Because he thought he was dead casual and cool. And he was not. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just that's the vibe. That's definitely the vibe. Right. Let's say something about levelling up and everything. Should have been devolved. Should have been devolved to national parliaments, to local mayors, and all these different things equally distributed out. And, uh, and it wasn't. Um, corruption question mark possibly we'll probably not find out until like you know until there's a big expose in about two or three years time how somebody decided to do this and someone decided to mm-hmm. do that and blah 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 of course we could also just link in the fact that Rishi Sunak had a video during his uh, leadership campaign how he was saying that there was too much money going to urban deprived areas and you know being taken away from leafy places like Tunbridge Wells and then all of a sudden there's criticism because of the levelling up fund is it doesn't seem is all it seems um but I mean I mean where do you start I mean we've just spent the whole last hour and a bit talking about Tory corruption and everything else you know all these different stories and then it's like you know it, it, the problem with, with things like this with, with the level up fund is it's so opaque that it's so difficult to criticise. And it's almost like that's been done by design. Mm. You've got I liked to what... they, they never miss the opportunity to scam. No, yeah. never. I liked what Lisa Nandy called it, that it was less levelling up and more Hunger Games. Mm. And I kind of, you know, like, because it is, it's like a, how how do they get the funding? Who's, do we do we actually know the process? Yeah, they had to pitch for it, like different yeah. councillors, different, you know, devolved areas, you know, mayors, all, all these different groups had to like, you know, basically pitch like, please give us this such and such that we really want. And there were some really positive outcomes though with the levelling up because there's ones like the, 
like a transport system between Cardiff Bay and uh, and and the central station and all these different mm-hmm. things, which is really really positive. And that Wales and in Cardiff area is definitely not a Tory area. So mm-hmm. you know it's things like that that you know could could be seen as legitimate. But was that a plan all along? And um, you know we we can delve into that. But I think with basically if you're going to start offering this sort of levelling up fund. Why don't you just make it so you don't have to do levelling up funds in the first place? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you just, just fund, fund appropriately. <laughs> just fund infrastructure. Just, you know, give the devolved nations what they need to, to you know, to prosper and, and do whatever it is that you want them to do. You know, why do we have to have this whole process from start to finish saying, right, okay, do consultation. Okay, we're going to bid for this particular project and we're going to ask for x amount of money so we can do it and then we've got to come up with a great shiny you know uh, application process which you know potentially might get rejected and and then you end up in a situation where you've got county councils or local councils like pitching to the uk government to get money and then it being declined or, or for whatever reason so to me it's just it just seems like a totally flawed system yeah it's totally unfair and basically just fund your infrastructure maybe by uh you know getting all the tax money you should be getting. Aye, for chancellors of the exchequer. <laughs> but you have tax bill. Well, that seems like a perfect note to end the podcast. <laughs> um, so you can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org. And you can also see some written articles there and you can sign up for our free newsletter. Catch the latest episode of World Beat with George Collins. It's a North American-based podcast. And you also can see the Talking Sense podcast with Kat and Erin. And if there's anything you want us to uh, talk about on Hollywood, you can tweet us at underscore ungag, hashtag Hollywood ungag. Our email is ungagleft at gmail.com, putting Hollywood ungagged in the subject line. We also have a Discord community, so if you'd like to join that, please get in touch through any of our social media channels. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. Brian, Deborah, it's great to be back. See you next week. Have fun, be good, and be lucky. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. One looks through his father's drawers. Fatal mistake. Parents started to the sound of a bang. Brushed up, saw and son on the ground. Another with a gun in his hand. He thought it was a toy. Wake up, America. Ban the gun. How much longer can this go on? This senseless killing, bad the gun. It's time to right this wrong. Hey, hey, down in Parkland, Florida. High school in a safe town Torn apart by a young man Angry with the world he shot 17 down The classroom's now quiet Mourning the innocent They'll saw it coming History repeats Wake up America Ban the gun How much longer can this go on? This senseless killing, bad the gun. It's time to right this wrong. Five hundred.
hundred thousand young voices unite Marching and roaring in rage Five hundred thousand young voices unite Marching hope for a change Five hundred thousand young voices unite Marching and roaring in rage Five hundred thousand young voices unite Marching in hope for a change Wake up America, ban the gun How much longer can this go on? This senseless killing To right this wrong Wake up America Ban the gun How much longer can this go on? Wake up America